I just want to reiterate our uh, thanks for our Texas Disaster Relief Team. Amen. Um, just uh, had a phenomenal time. We're going to hear more next week, but I know one morning I heard from them and they were uh, uh, supposed to do one house. They did three. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And uh, we're going to hear more from them next week. In fact, it just kind of fits into what we're going to talk about this morning and the next three weeks, the next three weeks after today. And, and that is how God wants us to create margin in our life. Margin in our life so we can do things that are meaningful and things that have purpose. And to do that, we have to talk about less. We have to talk about moving our lives to in a direction of less instead of more. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to start. Jump off right there. Uh, at first glance, it's not going to seem to have a lot to do with less, but you'll see that it does. Matthew eleven sixteen. to what can I compare this generation they are like children sitting in the marketplace places and calling out to others. Very significant that he says marketplaces. Not just one place, but he's talking about trends here. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now we're going to jump down to verse 28. There's a lot of good verses in between there, but they're kind of just going to distract us from the message we want to give you this morning. And so we're just going to kind of jump over those things. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We just got done talking about the inevitability of being hurt. And everybody in the room just about just, just responded to that and, and affirmed what we believed already is that we're offense factories and the world is an offense factory and everybody gets hurt. And uh, Like I said in the beginning, if we ask a question, how many of you uh, remember uh, someone who hurt you? Your hand would go up before I finished the sentence. And it's not so amazing that someone uh, hurt you, but it's amazing you remember so quickly. You, you just, we just all remember it's someone who hurt us. But besides being hurt, probably the second set of negative feelings that most, many Americans have right now, or maybe most, is feeling burdened, feeling overwhelmed, wanting to do, have a meaningful life, but feeling overwhelmed by all of your responsibilities, all the places you need to be, all the things you need to maintain, all the money you need to make to support the life that you are trying to live. I'm going to say something now that I'll explain later, and that is in Matthew 11, 16, 17, then with 28 through 30, Jesus is saying to the average American that the key to an unburdened and meaningful life is less. Less commitments, less pointless commitments, less consuming, and less stuff. Our Texas Relief Team is an example they were able to create margin. A lot of other people wanted to go, but they were able to create margin in their life in order to go. Jesus was not only the ultimate minimalist, but seriously following him and making him your one essential is the way to the abundant life instead of the burdensome and meaningless life. 
I just want to say to you that this new cultural movement that you've probably heard about called, the minim called minimalism has been there all along, right in the gospel, right in the gospel. It was there all along. Jesus Christ demonstrated so dramatically that the start to a less burdensome life is less things to burden us. I know the minimalist movement doesn't trace its roots to Christ, but Jesus Christ was the first minimalist. <laughs> Imagine a life, uh, it, it, Ryan Nicodemus in the movie, uh, The Minimalist, the, the documentary that was done recently, and they wrote a book about it. Uh, two guys, one of them is named Ryan Dick, Nicodemus, and he makes this statement in the movie. Imagine a life with less, less stuff, less clutter, less stress, less debt, less discontentment, a life of fewer distractions. Now imagine a life of more time, more meaningful relationships, more growth, more contribution. I mentioned to you a while back that Sherry and I, that Sherry said uh, the most beautiful words to me one day recently. That, you know, right up there, just the top 10 things she's ever said to me. She said, let's rent a 30-yard dumpster. <laughs> and um, I, I can't, I, I'm not a minimalist. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't even want to pretend. Uh, I still have more clutter personally than I would like. But uh, we just began to uh, throw away stuff. Someone had given me a book. I can't remember the title of it. I didn't finish reading it, but I read enough to, to, to what the, the writer said, the author said, Look at everything in your house and ask whether it gives you joy. Does it make you happy when you look at it? And so that's the rule of thumb I went by. I went around and I looked at things and did they make me happy? I mean, I like, like I probably had 25, 30 shirts that I'd never wore. I don't like to wear them. I know, you know, it, it's taken my family 40 years to teach me how to dress a, halfway decently. And I used to always buy shirts that were too big. They were not slim fit. And I'm, I, I finally got it. I'm slim. <laughs> I need a slim fit shirt. So I would buy these shirts that were all blousy on me, and especially everybody's wearing their shirt tail out. And uh, it, it, they just, told, but I, but I, I kept them because I like, because I don't know. It just seemed wrong not to, to get rid. It, it seemed wrong to get rid of them. It seemed like a man couldn't survive with ten shirts. You need 40, even though you only wear 10. And we just begin to, you know, take some things to the blessing bar, but we fill that with stuff that we stuff that we didn't even know we had as we begin to dig through and stuff that we, stuff that was just collecting dust and stuff that was was technolo technology that wasn't used anymore. Why were we keeping? It? I don't know. But the, everything we threw away just to me brought more joy and more peace and it just felt better uh, i want you to watch a little video that may have been jimmy carter's most passionate and eloquent speech as president and no doubt jimmy's uh, sentiments are honed by uh teaching sunday school class in plains georgia for the last 40 50 years he's taught he still teaches a sunday school class and uh, I know some people who went and visited the church there, and Jimmy Carter still teaching Sunday school class. 
And uh, I got a feeling some of his connection with Christ and some of his connection with faith caused him to give this passionate speech. Maybe you've heard it. Let's roll it. Good evening. It's clear that the true problems of our nation are much deeper, deeper than gasoline lines or energy shortages, deeper even than inflation or recession. In a nation that was proud of hard work, strong families, close-knit communities, too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption, human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but by what one owns. But we've discovered that owning things and consuming things does not satisfy our longing for meaning. We've learned that piling up material goods cannot fill the emptiness of lives which have no confidence or purpose. This is not a message of happiness or reassurance, but it is the truth and it is a warning. That's, that's, a, that's astounding, isn't it? Let's give President Carter a hand. When I look back at Jesus' words that day to, to his disciples, three things stand out to me about keeping less. First of all, before Jesus tells us how to be less burdened, he talks about the frustration and futility of social pressure and always trying to stay current with the culture. He talks about the frustration and futility of social pressure. Notice what he says in Matthew eleven sixteen. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Notice that he uses the word generation. He didn't say close and personal and meaningful relationships are like children sitting in the marketplace. He said this generation, and then he, he makes a plural, this generation. Uh, I, mean, I mean, he makes, I'm sorry, he makes the word marketplace plural because he's, he's talking about the trend of his culture, the trend of his day, that there were, there were people putting their values on other people and their meaning of life on other people. The, the word here for generation is translated age, time, and nation. So it's all about broad trends that sweep over us like an avalanche and leave us trying to catch our breath. That, that, that on the Friday after Thanksgiving, we, we, we have to get up at one in the morning and go to Walmart and, and Best Buy. And we don't even, we're like those people in that video. I mean, the, the, the internet is full with, of those videos that you just saw of people beating each other to, to get a pile of, of, of crap, really, that's, that's going to be at the Blessing Barn in a couple of years. Really. Uh, so 
It's all about broad trends that sweep over us like an avalanche. What does that tell us? It tells us that we need to start examining our lifestyle and our lifestyle choices with this question. This question, am I consuming, collecting, and choosing goods and services based on the whims of an impersonal crowd force that is robbing me of personal peace? Am I making purchases? Am I filling my life with stuff? Am I, am I living in a house that everybody tells me I have to live in or driving a car that they tell me is going to change my life? What am I doing? Does, the house that make, does that house that you live in make you happy or is it status that it gives you in the community? Would you really be happier with a lower mortgage and more financial freedom? Do all those books really make you happy? Or do you really just like the message the shelf full of books sends to people who come by you, come in and sit in your living room? You know, I, I had to go through this conversation when I, at the same time we had this 30-yard dumpster, we were moving our offices downtown. And I had in the office up here, three shelves full of books, three shelves full of books. Now, I was lying by having those books. Because if you came and sat in my office, you would look over there and think, boy, this guy is well read. I see that he read this and he read, he read uh, this, this, and pulp, look at those pulpit commentaries. I had, whole, I had a whole, like three rows of pulpit commentaries, deep uh, analysis of every scripture in the Bible. I mean, every line in the Bible has like 50 pages. I never look at them. I never use those things for study. The, the, the language is so archaic, you can't even use it anymore. And we got the internet. We got internet university. You, you can find everything in the pulpit commentaries. Also, the whole series is on the internet. But I didn't want people to think I wasn't intellectual. I want people to come to my office and think he reads all those books. And... Most of those books I hadn't ever read. And so I remember it was a, it was a hard decision. It wasn't because the books meant, it wasn't because the books were important to my intellectual and spiritual life, but I liked the message that it sent to people who came to my office. And it seemed wrong to throw them away, but people don't want them. People don't want these books. Now, we do cake a lot to the Blessing Barn. They sell some books there. But I, I took some to the barn, but I'm going to just have puff, puff, just hold a confession. I threw a bunch of books away. I just threw a bunch of books in the dumpster. It's, it, <laughs> am I absolved? <laughs> and just... Every book, I said, do, do I need this book? Will I, will I really look at it again? Yeah, keep the ones I'm really going to look at, the ones I really care about. There are a few classic books. You know, The Purpose Driven Church, which was written long before The Purpose Driven Life, is a book that I want to have because occasionally I will look back at that book. But you see what I mean? We, we do things because, of the, because they think they give us meaning. You know, books, what about, what about the way we dress? It, 
Is that, you know, for some people, and I'm not looking around, I can't see anyway because the lights are my eyes, so this is good. It, it, but is that dress that's so tight that it looks like you had to be melted and poured into it, uh, it, that bikini that you wear that it could double as dental floss, is that really comfortable? Or do you really, really just like the kind of attention it brings and the kind of approval that it brings? That's what Jesus was talking about. It's like a marketplace. Other people are telling you what you got to have and what you got to wear and what you got to drive because it makes you what they want you to be. Do you have closets and garages and attics and sheds full of stuff? Do they really meet a need in your life? Or does it bring you mystical security that perhaps comes from a time in your life when things were hard to come by? Mass marketing, see, here's what's happened, and a lot of us don't realize, a lot of Americans don't realize, I think I have a very astute audience right now, and you are all way ahead of me on this. But the people out there that don't come to Bethany Community Church they don't realize the idea of purchasing things because we need them has been replaced by the idea that things give us meaning and purpose. You know, there's nothing wrong with things giving you joy. There's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, God has wired you. God has wired you with this chemical called dopamine that certain things that you do will give you a shot of dopamine. And I think, I think that's what happens when you get a new iPhone. I think when you get a new iPhone, I think you get just a little shot of dopamine. It just feels pleasurable, you know? Uh, when you get a new car, God has wired you to appreciate things that are beautiful. And God has wired you so that, so that acquisition is pleasurable. But you, you, you've got to understand there's a difference between getting pleasure from something and getting value from it. There's a difference in something giving you some joy and something making you think now your life is meaningful. Now my life means something. I live in this house, so I'm, I, I, must, I must be somebody. I drive this car, so I must be somebody. I belong to this club. I play golf at this golf club, so I must, be, I must have arrived now. That's the problem, and we're going to see how this works. And, and, and be careful with dopamine, too, because that's, that's what causes people to become addicts. And, and it... it, it these things in this world, it's kind of like Watchman Nee talked about years ago. He said, um, he said, the things of world, you have to treat it like morphine. And he said, if you were to go to the hospital and you were, you were to um, uh, have an injury, and this was long before there was an opioid crisis that Watchman Nee wrote this. He wrote 70 years ago. He, he, he said, uh, if you would go to the hospital, take morphine, you had an injury, you would take the morphine, but you would be cautious because you know you can become addicted. So that's why you, you treat the joy of acquisition. You know it's going to become addictive, so you're careful with it. But it's not wrong. God wired you that way. But finding meaning in the location of your house, or your car, or your clothes, or your devices is different, and it's a belief that requires choice. In the minimalist movie, they say, we don't get rid of things when they're no longer usable, but when they no longer have that social value. And that's really true. He says, goes on to say, advertising has colluded 
an invaded culture. It's in our movies, our television, our shows, our books, and our doctor's offices. And it's so true. We don't realize how much we're bombarded with messages of what we have to have and what we have to do and where we have to go. Uh, That things bring us meaning. Let me say this. That things bring us meaning was the great spiritual ripoff of the 20th century. I said that things bring us meaning is the great spiritual ripoff of the 20th century. Uh, I don't know, you've probably never heard of a guy named Eddie Bernays. I doubt, have anybody heard of Eddie Bernays? You need to shout because I can't see you. No. <laughs> Y'all are awesome. Eddie Bernays, it was, uh, Eddie Bernays was uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew. And he came to America, and like in the 1920s, and it, it, while his uncle was finding out what about people's hidden motives, Eddie Bernays decided to hide people's motives. He took his uncle's research, and instead of using it to help people, he 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 joined forces with big business, and he learned how to manipulate the public and causing them to buy things that he wanted them to buy and these companies wanted them to buy. And he didn't do it by just by making us think things were pleasurable to buy or that we needed them. He moved us from buying things because we needed them or for the joy of a new purchase. He moved us to believe that buying things and having things had meaning. A good example, and one of the saddest examples, was Lucky Strike Cigarettes. The American Tobacco Company came to Eddie Bernays and they said, would you help us uh, capture the female smoke market for smoking Lucky Strike cigarettes? Because uh, there was a taboo against women smoking. Women were not allowed to smoke in public. In fact, there were places where men were allowed to smoke, but women were not. And of course, women were, not, were discouraged from smoking at home. And so... Um, there, were a, a, there was that thing going against the American Tobacco Company. And also, uh, the packages were green. And women did not like green. The women of that day, didn't green was not a popular fashion color. So they had, and it was too expensive to change the colors of the package. So uh, Eddie Bernays, Bernays went to a, a psychologist. He, pay, he paid a psychologist $120 to talk to him for an hour. And today's money is 20 times that amount of money today. So he invested that amount of money to talk to a psychoanalyst to find out what cigarettes meant to women. And of course, they found out it meant power. It meant importance. It meant that they were just as good as a man. Men can get lung cancer. Bless God, we can get lung cancer. Of course, they didn't know anything about that then. So, So he... He went to the he went to these Paris uh, 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 fashion designers and had them start introducing all these gorgeous, beautiful green uh, dressing gowns and dresses. And then he persuaded women who were celebrities and and they already had movie stars in those days and singers. He persuaded them to wear these green dresses. He did a he did a big ball in New York City with every all the women wore green. And he had all these famous people come wearing green. And he made sure this was in the newspapers and the newsreels of the day. And then 
And then he decided to call cigarettes, lucky strike cigarettes, torches of freedom. And he actually, he decided that the, the day that represented human freedom most in America was Easter Sunday. And that, so the Easter parade in New York City, uh, Eddie Bernays, he called these uh, debutantes there and, and their boyfriends, and he hired them to walk down Fifth Avenue, and he armed them with Lucky Strike cigarettes, and he instructed them that on cue they were to light up. And he, then he went, he, he went behind everybody's back and he called the newsreels and he called the major, major newspapers of that day, which New York Times, Los Angeles Times, others. He called them and said, I'm just giving you, you know, I'm just giving you on the, this is on the, on the QT. I'm just telling you there's going to be a protest tomorrow on Fifth Avenue and women are going to light up torches of freedom to protest the, the taboo against women smoking. And so that's what happened. And that picture of these women smoking these cigarettes on Fifth Avenue with the headline, Torches of Freedom, was on every major newspaper in the United States on the next day. It totally revolutionized the cigarette market, and women begin to smoke, and they begin to smoke in movies, and they begin to smoke publicly, and they thought, they thought, why did they start to smoke? Because they believed it would bring meaning to the life. In fact, I got another little video I want to show you. This is an Eddie Bernays video of a woman convincing women why they should buy uh, elaborate clothing. Do we have that video? There's a psychology of dress. Have you ever thought about it? How it can express your character? You all have interesting characters, but some of them are all hidden. I wonder why you all want to dress always the same, with the same hats and the same coats. I'm sure all of you are interesting and have wonderful things about you, but looking at you in the street, you all look so much the same. And that's why I'm talking to you about the psychology of dress. Try and express yourselves better in your dress. <laughs> We all think we thought of this stuff, didn't we? And we're being manipulated. Now, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. I'm not suggesting that clothing should, should not send the right message, that we should not choose clothes that send the right message. And we should care about the people around us, and we should care about how they feel. But, but the, the, the message that these things give our life purpose and meaning and make us something. It's a false message that we've bought into. Jesus said, come to me. I will give you life. Come to me. I will give your life meaning and purpose. I will give your life eternal meaning and purpose. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. This yoke that, that, that mass media, this yoke that, that advertisers are going to put on you, you're not going to be able to carry it. It's going to burden you down. It's going to burden you down with debt. It's going to fill up your credit cards. It's going to burden you down with dissatisfaction. You're never going to be able to keep up. It's like the, the children in the marketplace. They say, we want you to sing a funeral dirge. You sing a funeral dirge, and then they decide they want a happy song. So as soon as you think you're in style, you're going to be out of style. You're never going to be able to catch up, and you're never going to be able to keep up. And Jesus said, come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest from the frenetic life that you've been caught up into, and I will, I will forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life, and I will give you really important things to 
do, like going to Texas and gutting houses and helping people get back on their feet and stuff like volunteering at the Blessing Barn and volunteering in the Happy Place and helping kids who, who are, have special needs and their parents. And I will, give you, I will give you a ministry. I will give you the ability to care. And I will give you a message of eternal life that you can share with people and you can show them how to have their sins forgiven and be set free. And you can show them how to be new creatures in, in, in me. And you can show them how to, how to know me. And I will give you, I will, let me teach you about prayer and the power of prayer and how you can begin to pray and begin to ask the Heavenly Father, whatsoever you ask him in my name, I will do it for you. And let me tell you about the word of God that I want to I open up to you so you're going to begin to understand the scripture. And let me tell you about the spiritual gifts that I want to give you, that I've equipped every one of you with spiritual gifts so you will do great and mighty things that you know not of. And let me tell you about the church that I'm going to make you a part of. I'm going to create the church. I'm going to create my church and you're going to become a part of that church. And, 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 and that church is going to, it's going to start out, he said, it's going to be like a little mustard seed, but that church is going to grow and be going to be the biggest thing in the world. And you can't, you disciples can't see it now, but there's going to be billions of people who are going to be, be a part of this church. Why would you want this meaningless life of just trying to fill your life with junk? Hallelujah. Jesus found the meaning in his life in the sacrifice that helping others required. Acting to please and serve another is ministry. Yes. It's a nice thing. And, And it took me a while to figure it out, and I wasn't always great about it. But I'm better, Sherry. I'm right? I'm better. When Sherry says, I like, I want you to wear it, that shirt looks better on you. Now, why is that not the same as being pressured by advertisers to buy shirts that they say I should buy? Because that's loving a person. That's a, that's a, that's a personal, intimate relationship. That's caring about how another person feels. That's caring about what they feel and what they see. That's respecting another person's opinion. That's a human being. That's not an industry. That's not, a, that's not an Eddie Bernays. And, and you, if, you, if you go and you start studying Eddie Bernays, some of the stuff he did was absolutely criminal. Some of the stuff they did, I mean, they, he helped to overthrow a government. It is horrible, the kind of stuff and the manipulation that's done. And we become victims of that, that media machine that's grinding us to powder. It's grinding us to powder when Jesus says we can be free. So acting to please another is ministry. Acting to gain another's approval is slavery. There's the difference. There's the difference. Ministry, good. Slavery, bad. (laughs) Serious Christ followers are always giving up something to be more available for the people that God loves. That's a meaningful life. I don't know exactly where this series is going to take us. Where some of you, this is a very personal series. For some of you, it's, it will be big. And for some of you, you need to do some serious downsizing. For others, not so much. This is not a one-size-fits-all thing. I'm not telling everybody that has a big house that you've got to get a smaller house. I'm not telling everybody that you've got to go buy a tiny house. You know, these tiny houses. I'm not telling everybody that you've got to do that. I'm not telling everybody that you've you got to uh, uh, go buy a small uh, uh, a smart car. Everybody doesn't have to go buy a smart car. But 
I want you to tune your ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit and say, I want my life to matter. I want my life to be more than a collection of stuff. I want my life to matter. I want to find the true meaning and purpose of life. I want to know Jesus, and I want to follow him. The second thing I notice about our text is whatever meaning culture gives your consumer choice now will almost always turn into ridicule later. (laughs) Do I even need to say anything? Remember, Remember those kitchen cabinets you spent all that money to install? Hate to tell you, but now open shelving is in. (laughs) We won't talk about bell bottoms and shag carpet. (laughs) Some of you don't even. Of course, course I think that was ugly then. Even though I did it. Of course, I did it. I wore bell bottoms. I had my hair done in an afro. I did it. I couldn't find the picture of that. I, I, was gonna, I thought about that last night. And you know, in America, we have three times the personal space we had in 1950. Plus, we have a $2.2 billion personal storage industry. One of the leading stocks in the stock market is personal storage in America. Studies have shown that the average American actually goes into less than 40% of their house every day. So 60% of our houses, we don't even go into. Some of you look so guilty right now. I don't, I don't want to make you guilty. I'm not saying you got to sell your house. I'm not, no. we're, we're blessed. We're blessed. It's wonderful. But do we have meaning? Do we have purpose? The third thing that our text tells us is to truly grasp a less burdensome and meaningful life. Jesus says, learn of me. So what do we we learn from Jesus? By hearing him speak and watching how he lived. First thing we learn about Jesus, this is very interesting. This has always stood out to me through the years. We learn that Jesus was happier than anyone he knew. Can you say that today, that I'm happier than anybody I know? Jesus was happier than anyone he knew. And it's right in the Bible. I don't know if you, you've caught it yet in your reading of the Bible. But Hebrews 1.9 says, Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So Jesus, you could, the way you pick Jesus out of a crowd is the, the happy guy. The guy that's lighthearted. Jesus didn't walk around his whole life like he had the nails in. You know? He didn't. I can tell you, the the children love Jesus. And children came to him to be blessed of him. And children don't like grouches. The, The fact that Jesus, the children want to sit on his lap, tell you that Jesus had a tremendous sense of humor. And if we had time, we could show you in the scripture Sometimes we miss it because we're, we're reading with a Western mindset. But Jesus used a lot of humor in his speaking and a lot of hyperbole in all those good words. <laughs> are you happy? I want to ask you, are you happy? And if you are, do you get your happiness from... Notice where God got, Jesus got his. 
Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Ah, Jesus got his happiness. You know what the word anointing means? I know that's a, that, that's a, a, a churchy word, isn't it? And it, it's something weird and mystical, anointing. Pentecostal, it, it's, 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 uh, uh, it has to do with some emotion. And, and if, you're, if you're Roman Catholic, it has to do with oil. Dump oil in you. But the, the word anointing meant approval. The word anointing meant affirmation. Where did Jesus get his approval? From his new cell phone? From his new tablet? From his Maserati? From his 30,000 square feet house? Uh, no. He got his approval from God. And he was happier than all the people who got their approval somewhere else. He was happier than the people who had found meaning and purpose by joining the local political religious machine. He found meaning and purpose not from Rome and being aligned with Caesar. Boy, that would have given you clout in those days to be aligned with Caesar. He didn't get his clout from being aligned with the local Sanhedrin. He, got, he didn't get his clout from some, something material at all. He got his clout from something nobody could take away from him. Nobody could touch. He got his clout from something that nobody could buy or sell. He got his clout from something you don't advertise. He got his clout from something that Eddie Bernays could not, have, could not have marketed. He got his clout from hearing the father say, this is my beloved son. He got his clout. He got his meaning. He got his purpose. He got his joy from the father. And he's offering you the same opportunity today, right? So, so the second thing about Jesus is, um, is he... I, I forgot to tell you this part. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a bedroom. And he didn't have any transportation. How does that... Is that blowing your mind? Is that blowing your mind that he didn't have a house? Not only did he not live in the right neighborhood, he didn't have a neighborhood. And, and, and the neighborhood he came from, you know what they said when, when they first met Jesus? They said... What good thing can come from Nazareth? He didn't, even when he had a house, it wasn't in the right part of town. But yet he ended up happier than all the people that had the houses and the cars and the clothes. It, that's, well, I didn't mention that he didn't have a lot of clothes. You could put all of his stuff in my backpack. Because he didn't have a closet, that many didn't have clothes. He just had clothes he could carry in a little pack or something. But he was happy. He was happy because he had less. He had less of this world and more of the Father. He had less of this world and more of the Holy Spirit. He had less of what everybody else valued. In fact, in fact Jesus said, Jesus said, man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. You know what's really sad? You know what's really sad in the last 50 years, the last 50, 60 years? It's the church got caught up in this. 
The church decided, the church decided that if you really had faith, you would have a lot of stuff. The church decided that if God really was blessing you, you would have a lot of house and a lot of car and a lot of clothes. The, the church got caught up in it and we created something called the prosperity gospel. We, we created something that they, they Something called the, the prosperity gospel. One preacher, one preacher that's out there that some of you have heard of has actually changed his name to be Creflo Dollar. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy? In fact, Paul talked about these people. Paul talked about these people when he said that some would suppose that gain is godliness. Jesus was a minimalist. Everything in a backpack. And he was so happy going around, healing the sick, loving on people, blessing children, raising the dead, walking on water. What would you like to do? What would really make you rich? I would say if I could walk on water and raise a few dead people, I would be rich. I would say that if I can help people and make somebody else's life better, that I would be fabulously wealthy. Who needs the junk when you can have the real stuff of life? <clears throat> Obviously, God wants us to have a house. And God wants us to have transportation. Obviously, the poverty that Jesus accepted or, or went after was not where everyone should live. And I could give you plenty of verses that show that, that show that God does meet our needs, that God does provide for us. But here's, here's what I'm trying to fix in our hearts this morning. I'm trying to change how we look at it. I'm not saying, I mean, I don't want you to go home to your house today and feel guilty. I don't want you to go get in your nice car and feel guilty. But I want you to get in it and say, this is not who I am. I want you to look at what you're giving away. What you're giving away to others. What you're giving to the kingdom of God. And what you're contributing to the lives of people. And I want you to say, that is who I am. That defines me. So what can we do with the, the uh, message to keep less for a less burdens and more meaningful life? Here's the deal. God created you to have emotional and physical margins. So here's the question you have to ask that may lead you to remove some stuff from your life or possibly downsize. Let me ask you three or four quick questions here. Do I have enough margin to do ministry to others? One of the places to get margin is to have less material goods, less property, to maintain and pay for less meaningless social commitments that you can't don't have time to keep and that don't really help other people. So do I have enough margin to do ministry to others? Secondly, do I have enough margin to spend quality time with my family and the people I love? To have greater impact, here's the key, to have greater impact in life, spend more time with less people. God intends for you to spend high energy time with the people you've made a covenant with. One of the places to get margin is to have less stuff to maintain, less personal properties. Do I have enough margin? Third question, do I have enough margin to be generous to others in need? 
If your funds are all taken up paying for and maintaining all the things around you, then how can God prompt you to be generous? He can't do it. Last question. Do I have enough margin that I'm emotionally peaceful enough to enjoy my relationship with God? If we don't have spaces where our minds can be free to relax, it's very hard to truly enjoy the presence of God. Listen to this admonition that illustrates how God wants us to live our lives with enough for us, but something to give away. Let me say that again. God wants us to live our lives with enough for us, but something to give away. We're not supposed to be marginless. Leviticus 23, 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You know what that meant? That meant that those harvesters were to stop working a little sooner than they would have worked had they harvested the whole field. So it meant creating margins in their work life. It meant that they did a little less work and produced a little more for themselves so the poor in the community could have more. So less for you so God and others can have more. That's the key. Now, there's a practical step on our journey. Every week I'm going to give you an assignment. and I'm going to ask you to try something. And here's the practical step I want you to take this week. I want you to go and cancel something. Cancel a membership or a prescription that you're not using. If you're paying a health club membership every week, but you never go. Now you should go. But maybe you got health club memberships at two places. Go cancel one of them this week. Cancel something that you're not using. Now, if that doesn't work for you, go clean out a closet. This week, I want you to go take one closet and say, I'm going to get rid of all the clothes that I don't, that don't make me happy and I don't wear anymore. I think Sherry said, don't tell them to bring everything to the blessing board. I think she told me that. Tell them not to bring everything. <laughs> Now, listen, hang on. I want to take two more minutes. The more profound step I want to give you, this is even more important than the practical one, is I want to ask you, I want to ask you, I mean this with all my heart, I want to ask you to give your life over to Jesus. I want to ask you to give your life over to Jesus. For some of you, for some of you, it's a redo. That's okay. Jim, we like redos, don't we, when we play golf. (laughs) Life, God gives you a redo. Some of you gave your life to Jesus and you took it back. For some of you, it's not a redo. You've never gone from dating Jesus to marrying him. You've never gone from dating to belonging. You don't really identify as a Christian. I want more than I want anything else, more than I want you to think I'm a good preacher, or more than you want to think this is a good service, I would like for you to leave here today identifying as a Christian instead of a consumer. I want you to move from being the consumer guy or gal who spent your life taking in, taking in, receiving, enjoying the world that God made 
to being a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to make that step today. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come right now. And the way you can make that step today is you can come up here and you just tell them, I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to give my life over to Jesus and identify as a Christian. Would you pray with me? They all know how to pray that prayer with you. And for some of you, it's a redo or a rededication. I gave my life to Jesus, but I took it back. And I've been living for the culture. I want to redo that today. Would you pray with me? There are some of you out there that have various needs. I can't even cover them all, but you just need prayer. You just need someone to put a hand on your shoulder, pray about a sickness in your body, medical treatment that's coming up, or family members that are sick, or you need a, you, you need a job. You need, you, need, you need to work so you can have money to give away and so you can bless others. Would you come? This is response time at Bethany. And if I've just spoken to you, please take it seriously. Please act on what I just said, because I believe God is leading you. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to our hearts, touch our lives, change our lives, so we become given over to the meaning and purpose for which you created the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Come, let's enter into response time.